Law Focus Podcast. Law Focus, handing you your rights. Good evening. It has just gone one minute after seven o'clock. You are tuned into Vive M broadcasting live on eighty-eight point one. My name is Melissa Tintiweni, and I am together with Sepa Mohapi. Welcome to Law Focus. Yeah. Good evening and welcome, uh, welcome to our listener. At Law Focus, we aim to deal with issues relating to legal matters, and our objective is to inform you about law, legal issues and how you can use the law and understand the law in your own context and about your legal rights and trying to make sense of the current issues within our law. A 55-year-old woman from Pulens Hope, Rita Poku, in Pumalanga, shares her story in Bloomberg of how four of her five children suffer from asthma and other respiratory diseases. She lost her daughter at the age of 23 to lung cancer. Her sister, who lived in the same area, suffered multiple miscarriages and died from a respiratory illness. In total, she has lost up to nine members of her family to respiratory-related illnesses. She's not alone in the situation. More than 2,200 die from air pollution alone every year in South Africa. A lot of this pollution is because of the coal-fired power stations of Eskom and Sassel. And Sukunda in Mpumalanga is the most hit area because that is where their plants are based. Mind you, Eskom's power plants are in a belt of 90 miles by 110 miles across the country. But in case you think that this is the only problem, it certainly is not. Vehicle emissions, household fuels, oil refineries, coal mining, and cement producers are some of the other contributors of this problem. Yeah, that's true. I mean, in recent months, we've seen this becoming a real hot topic, uh, how rapid climate change has caused extreme weather conditions uh, and particularly us in sub-Saharan Africa, we've seen quite a few anomalies, I would say. Uh, you know, some th- things like tornadoes, uh, extreme flooding to extreme doubt, uh, drought, and then really fluctuating um, heat conditions, you know, going extremely hot to unusually cold and so on. Um, and in September this year saw a drastic rise in, in, in climate protests. This is across the world, and including in South Africa as well. Um, Now, Section 24 of the Constitution, this is our Republic's Constitution, envisages the right to a healthy environment. Uh, And that would include where you live, where you work, and so on. Um, We therefore detailed climate justice, not just as a concept, but as activism. And to help us with this, we've got Lerato Ngakane uh, from Mansa. Uh, She's going to join us in the conversation. We aim to understand how the law integrates with this topic by speaking also with Sia Mkize from uh, Shepstone and Wiley Attorneys and finally another award-winning activist from Earth Life who is Makoma Lekalakala. Uh, and that will conclude our really packed episode uh, for this evening. Now, we always want you to, co- to participate in our, co- in our conversation. So you can do so whether it's by phone or, or, or via instant messages or um, on social media, our WhatsApp line is 084-078-4912, or you can tweet us at VowFM using the hashtag LawFocus. And remember that our podcasts are available. Uh, you can you can visit uh, vits.journalism.co.za slash law uh, slash dot. 
Is that correct? No, 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 no. Slash law. Full <laughs> slash stuff. law. Full. Okay, slash law. Right. Thanks for tuning in to Law, uh, uh, to law Focus. We, you're listening to VFM 88.1. And coming up, our legal hotspots, which are the hottest legal stories of the week. I'm Tab Mahapi, and I'm with uh, Melissa Ndawini. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, of the, stories of the week. It's Legal Hotspots. Now, finally, Luyanda Boerta has been given three life sentences. So you would remember earlier this year, we had Uyira Namkwekiana, who was a UCT student, a young woman who was brutally raped and horrendously killed by a man who worked at the post office. We later found out that this man is Luyanda Boerta. So last week, he was finally handed down with three life sentences by the Cape Town High Court. And this is how they split uh, the sentencing. One for murder and the other two life sentences sentences are for rape and then in addition to that he was also handed five years for defeating the ends of justice yeah. now this judgment uh, basically declares that Boerta will not be eligible for parole for at least 25 years and the five-year sentence will run concurrently it seemed yeah. that the family when they did speak outside court after the judgment was handed down were pleased with the judgment um, at the time so yes yeah. he is behind bars as we speak so another life sentence that has been given out there and I hope that um, even when he becomes eligible for parole that he doesn't um, actually get granted parole Remember, parole is still a, a discretionary thing. But, I mean, we'll see what happens after 20... At least 25 years will be in there for <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, and now, let's move a little bit closer to uh, to to us. Um, let's take a look in Pretoria. Uh, if you remember, a few months ago, there was a serious spate of xenophobic attacks uh, which resulted in refugees, um, foreign nationals, camping outside the United Nations High Commissioner for refugees and that's in Pretoria and part of the demands were that they should be taken to other countries including uh, Canada very interesting uh, sort of demands that they had a lot of them reasonable some of them would raise an eyebrow Mm. Uh, but this past week things developed fairly quickly uh, and they were eventually removed from the from the from the premises 180 of them were also arrested during the uh, during the process um, if you remember correctly, what uh, what happened was they were outside and then at some point they actually moved onto the premises and they were then arrested for trespassing once they had moved onto the premises. Which are people's homes. Who, no, which were the, 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 the premises was the offices of the commissioner there, the United Nations commissioner. So uh, initially they were outside and then they, they moved inside. So that's the development there. They've been arrested. Probably now being, uh, uh, many of them will be processed at Lindela. Some of them will be returned, repatriated to their countries. The one about uh, being sent to other countries won't happen, I can tell you that. <laughs> it won't. It's, South Africa doesn't have a mandate to repatriate anybody to a country that is not up there origin <laughs> yeah uh, so I mean uh, at least uh, that issue there has been resolved it was beginning to be a bit of an embarrassment I think that one yeah yeah definitely well uh, we are now ready for our first interview we're going to be speaking up next to Liratonga Kani who is from she used to be at 350 Africa which is one of the biggest uh, environmental climate organizations in the world that actually fights for climate justice and now she is at Mansa and it is gone 11 minutes after 7 and after this we speak to Lirato.
Rounding up all, all the top stories of the week. It's Legal Hotspot. Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Thank you. Welcome back to Law Focus with Millicent and Tepwa right here on VFM 88.1. We are discussing climate justice this evening, obviously following a rapid speed of uh, some of the worst conditions we've seen uh, in KZN a few weeks ago. You've seen, you've experienced some of the heats in the country, which is... Ooh, horrendous to be quite honest mm. and it's not going to be any difference this uh, this this next de- December uh, depending where in the country you're going I think places like the Northwest Limpopo are going to be feeling it and mm. yeah <laughs> so mm. we're going to speak to an expert right now who knows much mm. more than I do and, on our, and our farmers will be feeling it our farmers well. yes because yeah. food insecurity is a big deal it's as big well as a not I remember that last last season for planting wasn't brilliant and if we have two of those it really creates some some, mm. some serious issues mm, mm. but I mean that is uh, how climate change I Works. suppose is working yep. at the moment definitely uh, Lerato thank you for joining us on Law Focus welcome hi Millicent and hi Tepo I hope hi. you guys are well tonight we yes, are ma'am. are you well I'm good I mean I'm just listening to the conversation you're having about the farmers and being worried I read a story about um, farmers committing suicide mm, yes yeah. yes so expensive to keep production up when there's actually no rain. Definitely, you know, definitely. So it actually shows how serious this issue is. Yeah, mm. and 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 we, uh, we understand that before you were at 350 Africa, uh, which I think I've explained is one of the biggest biggest uh, organisations that are fighting, um, you know, in the forefront for climate justice, and you have moved to Mansa. So the organisation that you have now moved to, what does this one do? Uh, because we are familiar more with the other one. Um, well, 350, as you guys know, is a, uh, an organization that supports grassroots movements to fight against like fossil fuel industries. So um, where there are communities and then industries come in to, to mine for coal and then um, put up coal mines and stuff, that's where um, 350 comes in to support organizations that are on the front line and they fight that. So what Mansa does is actually look at the issues that um, are facing Africa and look at how we can, as the youth, actually develop solutions that will lead to a more progressive society um, in the challenges that we face currently. Mm, mm, okay, perfect. And climate justice, how do you as activists define that? Well, you know, um, you guys are, are legal people, and I, I heard you talk about you talk about justice a lot, but when we talk about justice, uh, we're not talking about it in the sense of legality, but rather from a sense of what is right, what is the broader concern for doing what is morally right for society, you know. So um, it's really, when we talk about climate justice, it's really strongly aligned with, like, general concerns around, like, social justice, mm. you know, because um, environmental justice is social justice. Mm. Um, if we're going to be having, like you guys were talking about, um, um, the, the immigrant situation, you know, illegal immigrants, people are running away from their country because they are being affected mm. by climate you know, what do you call that? Is that um, that's part of environmental justice, that's part of social justice. So it's very interlinked and they overlap in a lot of ways. Mm. Right. Now, in South Africa, where we have a lot of immediate uh, issues, I mean, a lot of mm. immediate crises, for, for instance, poverty, unemployment, um, housing, education, mm. all of those things which you, you see and feel them immediately, uh, one of the criticisms that uh, people will have of 
things to do with climate is, but hang on, is this not a little bit f- removed from us? What do you say to that? We've got bigger fish to fry, basically. That's what they'll say. What do you say about that? Or that and I, I, com- I completely understand that, that, that uh, school of thought. Um, people have immediate needs, like um, bread, bread and butter issues, basically, mm. you know. And for me, I think it's, it's, it's really bigger than that. At this point, what we're seeing is what the invisible being made visible. Climate change has always been something that people speak about. But once now in Cape Town last year or two years ago, there was an almost day zero. Johannesburg has suffered from a lack of rain quite recently. We know that the Eastern Cape is suffering from tough droughts. So that is issues that are going to be highly, highly, highly contentious when it comes to like the environment. And they are going to be um, affecting people in their daily lives. Right. There is no avoiding it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are speaking to Lerato Ngakani. If you're just joining the conversation, she is an activist. And right now she is on the Mansa Advisory Board. And she's talking to us about climate justice and how we can understand this issue. And hopefully how we can try and resolve it. Uh, you know, the things, little things that we can do in our own immediate spaces to make sure that we reduce some of the pollution and other factors that are contributing to this problem. Now, Lerato... Um, obviously, there are difficulties that are sometimes posed, as Tepo has said, about people feeling the need to be more environmentally friendly. Now, what are some of those difficulties? For instance, uh, people would say, maybe it's too expensive. You know, you go to the shop nowadays and they will want you to buy a paper bag that costs two rand to put your groceries in, in groceries in instead of a plastic bag that would cost maybe 50 cents. Um, and that is like costly if you're going to be doing shopping. What do you have to say about things like that? I mean, those things are immediate. And I, and I think for me, one of the biggest things that I always say as an activist is that this is not an individual problem. This is a systemic problem. You know, some of these things actually come from capitalism. Where does plastic come from? Plastic is a by, byproduct of fuel production. You know, um, so how do we then lend our voices to actually making changes or systemic changes that will impact us in the long term? Because what we're doing, if I'm saying I'm not going to be using more plastic, yes, it's going to maybe help in the smallest way. But actually, and me being an activist is always about us making demands to our government. They're accountable to us. They need to make the right changes. They need to make the right um, decisions about how the role that they play in helping the situation out because it's not just going to be an rato stopping to use plastic. It's not going to be mm. just a militant using public transport. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. So mm. It's, it's bigger systemic changes that we need to look at. And we, we as civil society actors and, 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 and the general public really need to um, start putting pressure on the government despite the overwhelming evidence that they continue to do whatever they want. But... It is our vote that counts, right? And if we don't use our vote, and if we don't use our voices, then we're going to be finding ourselves in this perpetual mess that really doesn't help anybody. Okay. Yeah. Now, I I want to ask you perhaps a slightly deeper question. When I was... At, at school, we used to have, you know, collect a can campaigns, uh, yeah. p- uh, 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 pick up papers every every Wednesday, and it was drummed into us that littering was was really a bad thing to do. Even today, I'm in my 30s, and I can't throw a paper on the ground. And yeah. that's a lot of people who went to the same schools as me. But then I go outside to 
other communities and there is an incredible amount of litter mm. i mean it's huge oh. amount of litter in those communities and while you can you can understand that maybe the facilities are not there etc cetera, etc cetera, uh, yeah. is there a big enough push at sort of primary school and high school to encourage a culture of not littering of putting a waste in a particular place where it can be disposed of uh, more f in a more environmentally friendly way. Do we have those kind of campaigns broadly enough in South Africa? You know, I remember, I think about last year or two years ago, I was I got so excited. I heard that Houteng is going to be starting a um, recycling program where they'd be giving out dust bins. Um, oh, yes, in, yes, yes. Do you remember that? Yes, I so do. Yes, I household do. <laughs> dust bins to actually do recycling so people mm -hmm. can actually have their own agency mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I remember to, do the, to do the work for themselves. It was all over our small newspapers, our, these local newspapers that we get. It was all over that, I remember. Exactly. And guess what? I'm still waiting. So are we. Yeah. I don't... Can I tell you? <laughs> can I just share? So it's been many, many months. I'm not even sure how many. Our normal big bu uh, bin from the municipality was stolen. Mm. Mm. We are still waiting. You go to the municipality, they will give you the runaround. We are, it's been months. And I think those are some of the, you know, practical frustrations. People mm. don't have bins. How do you live in a suburb and you don't have a bin? And then you need to let mm. go of the waste. And then what ends up happening is people end up dumping in the community. You know, these mm. are practical things that could be avoided. And I'm wondering if that's what you meant when you said systemic changes need to be made. What are those changes that really need to be made that are systemic? Mm. Well, I mean, for one, for starters, I mean, how do we then um, um, collectively speak to our local municipalities and show them where they're going wrong? Because when they fail us, you know, they're not just failing the community, they're actually failing the larger system at large, at work, at play. So um, I really do think that it, it is about agency. It is about democratic participation, because I think this is one of the most important things. We don't hold people accountable. You know, um, there's no political will anymore because I think people feel very disenfranchised by what's going on in the country. You know, if it's the small things like getting a dustbin, what else is happening on a bigger exactly. scale? Hmm. Exactly, exactly. If you are joining the conversation, we are speaking to the Ratong Akani, who is a climate activist, and we are talking about issues of the climate. It is 22 minutes after 7. The Ratong, uh, also now, um, you know, there are interventions that you, um, in the different organizations that you are in, have been proposing to various stakeholders uh, and, and members of the public. Maybe you can give us some of the most practical things that ordinary people can do for instance how do you make sure that when you buy it is not harmful to the environment how do you just dis get dispose of used cooking oil after frying chips you know mm -hmm. things like mm -hmm. that that i think a lot of us just don't know how to go about it but these are important things as well because collectively if we include all the ways that all of us are contributing then it's quite a heap is it not and the effects mm. of it is great so yeah mm. how would you help us with that i mean there are there are certain i mean there is information about that kind of thing right so i i do more with like the bigger movement things and i would say um for instance like a, a small household if you are going to be like disposing of um vegetables or whatever put them in a compost you know um mm put them away so that they actually you can help that feed the soil for instance um what else can you do i mean 
I personally am going to advocate for people to actually take to the streets, like what happened um, on in September. On the 21st. <laughs> yes, on, that's what I want people to do. Okay. You know, because that's where your power lies. Because if if I say on my own in my little household I'm going to do this, it's like I said, it's it's not going to help my neighbor. It's not going to help the person who is dealing with like um, sea uh, what sea rising. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the, the bigger things, and I, and I, I want to encourage people to start thinking like that. We need to stop thinking about ourselves individually. We need to start thinking collectively because that's where the power lies. Right. Power lies when, 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 when people are isolated. You know, if, if they say, no, this little community is on its own and we are just thinking about our own issues and we're not, we have to rely on each other, you know, to, to develop that, um, that resilience. Mm. So that when, when we have to face the bigger issues, we can actually hold people accountable by taking to the streets in huge numbers. Right. Yeah. Are you going to implement, or not implement, but expand uh, the various campaigns, because uh, it's close to my heart, the school campaigns that I mentioned earlier, are we yes. looking at extending those into different communities now? that the issue has become really, you know, one of the forefront or foremost issues in our minds. Are we going to take that uh, momentum to the schools? I really, I really believe, especially kids are so impressionable, like mm. you said, you at that age, you, you don't litter today. Mm. Um, but kids are not being exposed to that kind of thing. And I think um, with Manta Advisory, what we're doing is actually trying to come up with solutions by using youth energy. You know, kids are creative. You know, how do we then involve them in the processes that will get their schools to actually think about their future? Because they're the future generations. At the end of the day, this earth is not ours. We're just visitors here, and they will be left with a mess. So if people or organizations start to engage um, schools a little bit more, kids a little bit more, I think we can come up with, like, some really creative ideas. I mean... um, in Johannesburg, I know a lot of people get irritated when they see those guys in, on the trolleys with their huge bags yeah. full of yes. plastic. But they're really being creative. You know yeah. what I mean? They're seeing a need, and out of necessity, they have come up with a solution for themselves and for us. You know, more than anything, we should be grateful. A lot of people are irritated that they're rummaging in their bins or they are in the way. But, like, that is a creative solution. So my encouragement is, is for us as civil society, as parents, as kids, to start thinking about ways of, of engaging with the issues that are at hand and, and seeing how we can make these concerns, these concerns like, um, and, and, and urgent, you know? Yes. Well, thank you very much, Lerato. We appreciate your time. It's been a fascinating conversation. Uh, we're going to take it perhaps in a more legal route now, but we, we appreciate you being here. Thank you very much, and, and I look forward to, to listening to the rest of the show to hear how you guys tackle it. Thank All right. you. <laughs> well, it's now um, about 25 minutes after 7 o'clock. We're discussing the climate, uh, it's climate change, climate justice, the environment, and its um, interaction with the law. Uh, it's been an interesting conversation. This is something that's going to affect you, and it's going to affect me. I think our next listener, or our next, uh, um, our next guest is going to be on the line soon. But let's take a quick break before we speak to him. Lawful Hi, good evening. Welcome back to Law Focus. You're listening to Tsapo Mahapi and Melissa Ndaweni. We're discussing uh, uh, climate change, the environment, and, and you know, uh, climate justice, 
environmental justice as well. Uh, remember, you can join the conversation on Twitter at VowFM using the, law, the hashtag LawFocus. Uh, and you can also contact us via WhatsApp on 084-078-4912. We're now uh, going to talk to an attorney who is uh, Sia Mkize. Uh, he is a partner at Shepton and Wiley Attorneys. We're going to discuss uh, what his take is on the environment and its interaction with the law. Good evening. Hi, good evening. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. Excellent. Uh, we hope that you're well and that your environment right now is cal- cool, calm and collected. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely calm, calm and collected here in Durban. No, great. Okay, <laughs> you're obviously not from the south. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, A a quick question, because not even some attorneys will know, what exactly is it that environmental lawyers do? (laughs) Uh, Thank you. We get asked that, um, you know, question all the time. And yes, I mean, environmental lawyers are there to help advise uh, on the environmental regulatory framework in South Africa. Uh, And as you know, it's, uh, it's quite a complex regulatory framework. So you need uh, lawyers who are specialists in that area um, to advise on any issues pertaining to the environment. Mm. Um, and mostly you'll find that it'll be development. Um, you know, any development would require um, some form of an environmental impact assessment um, right. and just making sure that uh, the developers follow the law and so forth. Yeah. All right. So anything that's going to change the landscape from in its natural thing, say a mining or its uh, residence or its uh, complex or whatever, some an environmental uh, lawyer would assist in making sure that whoever is developing it uh, complies with the with the law in terms of the environment. Is that what you say? Absolutely. Okay. If uh, advice is sought, um, obviously you often have what we call uh, environmental assessment practitioners. Mm-hmm. Um, who advise clients on the impacts uh, any development may have on the environment. Mm. Then you get lawyers to advise on the legal side. Right, um, okay. On what specific laws need to be followed. Okay, all right. right. Now, South Africa's party to a number of treaties, and I believe Kyoto is probably the most famous one, isn't it? Um, (laughs) And how compliant how seriously do we take it i mean how compliant are we as a country do do we put profits before people that's basically the the question are we really as compliant as what we what we want to be well i think you know south africa has made a lot of um you know progress uh, towards its environmental commitments um in fact you, you'd be aware that in 2016 we also ratified the paris agreement uh, to make more commitments on how we can reduce uh, our greenhouse gas emissions. Mm. So, so I'd say South Africa has made a lot of strides uh, towards, um, you know, implementing uh, legislation that can help to reduce um, the impact of greenhouse gases, you know, on our atmosphere, and of course, um, that lead to climate change. Mm. And 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 does it not just look good on paper? Do we actually do they have real authority? Do we take them seriously? not just the Paris Agreement and the Kyoto Protocol, but I think recently we've got other ones that were implemented, the Integrated Resource Plan, the Carbon Tax 2019, and there's a bill that's stood in Parliament as well, yet to be uh, implemented into law. Uh, yeah, yeah, basically, the authority of these, how serious are they? No, that, that's correct. Uh, in South Africa, we've got a number of um, you know laws uh, that touch uh, on greenhouse gases. If you look at our air quality legislation, there's quite a number of regulations that are promulgated um, to help reduce greenhouse gas emissions. 
Um, and of course, there's a department dedicated, you know, completely you know, to that field. Mm. But the issue of how effective um, the enforcement and monitoring is, it's always a debatable issue. Um, mm. and, I, and I think because purely of capacity constraints uh, from our government, um, they don't always have the capacity to to monitor compliance uh, with uh, all environmental laws. Although I must say we've got, you know, quite a a decent or a good um, environmental management inspectorate, which we often refer to as uh, your green scorpions. Um, So I'd say South Africa is committed to obviously reducing these greenhouse gases and implementing laws. And as you correctly said, uh, 1st of June this year was the commencement of the Carbon Tax Act. Again, that's aimed at... uh, you know, reducing the impact of greenhouse gases by making the polluters to to pay for their you know the portion of their contribution towards greenhouse gases. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. That's amazing. I'm happy to hear that they're going to be fined um, for for the mess that they are making because I think currently there's kind of like no consequences for big businesses etc um, who don't abide by any laws really, both locally and internationally. Would I be correct in suggesting that? Well, you know, again, it's debatable. I think some people often feel like, um, you know, there's no enforcement. But if you do look at our environmental laws, they've got quite hefty fines, ranging from 5 to 10 million for non-compliance. Okay. Um, you know, recently there was the case of, um, you know, BP, which is a British Petroleum, in that case against Uzani Environmental Justice, um, where they were convicted. So I'd say our courts are, you know, taking mm. you know, the issue of enforcement of environmental law uh, quite seriously. In fact, uh, previously we've seen other cases where uh, big mining companies have, uh, you know, been fined um, for non-compliance to environmental law. Mm. So I'd say in South Africa we, 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 we're not uh, that bad at all in terms of trying to enforce uh, environmental laws, uh, although it's a slow pace, as I say, it's, uh, some people say it's debatable. They'd like to see probably bigger fines for, you know, your large corporates or mining companies and, and so forth. Uh, but it's definitely not a, you know, a lawless state mm. uh, when it comes to the environment. Yeah. Mm. Okay. You've touched on the, the sort of, you know, the stick portion of you know the punishment portion um in in other countries they also have sort of a carrot approach to it so if you do this what we'll do is we'll give you a tax break you buy this particular type of car we'll give you a tax break on it you'll pay less tax let me put it like that do we are we beginning to have because i mean in my experience big business really takes notice where they can save money do we as the South African government uh, and, 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 and South African companies have that kind of arrangement where if they say, listen, we'll cut our emissions, we'll do this, we'll begin to push these types of vehicles out there and we will then benefit by getting, having to pay lower tax. Do we have that kind of uh, framework attitude perhaps towards it yet in, the, in South Africa? Yes, indeed, we do. I mean, if you look at the Carbon Tax Act, uh, that's what it's encouraging. You mm. know, if um, you know big corporates are able to reduce their greenhouse gases, um, there are offset arrangements uh, that they can pay less tax. Uh, for example, if they only emit so much uh, greenhouse gases. And in general, if you look at our air quality legislation and framework, it, it's geared at that to try and incentivize um, you know corporates at reducing greenhouse gases. Um, you know, you probably heard of you know uh, offset, um, you know offset agreements or offset arrangements, where they can uh, perhaps make a contribution in other ways. For example, a company can 
go to a, a rural area or perhaps I can say an informal settlement yes. and, and help uh, people living in that area to use uh, renewable, uh, let's say, stoves. Uh, instead of using your paraffin stoves, your coal stoves, which emit a lot of uh, gases, um, they can help them by giving them perhaps, uh, you know, pure gas stoves uh, or other renewable types of, um, you know, uh, stoves to, to, again, just help offset uh, the impact of, you know, uh, greenhouse gases on the environment. So, yes, South Africa is definitely you know, moving towards that direction. Mm. Oh, right. Okay. It's just gone 36 minutes after 7 and we are speaking to Siam Kize, who is a partner at Shepston and Wiley Attorneys, and he is an environmental lawyer. So, he is helping us to unpack what the law has to do with the environment and how we should understand it and hopefully what... How are we going to make lifestyle changes because of this? Um, so, a lot of people litter, uh, Sia. And yeah. I don't know if South Africa has any consequences for littering. Sometimes a person litters and will proudly say, I am creating jobs while they are at it. <laughs> and I've always wondered, but when is this going to come to an end? Um, you know, are there any laws in place or hopefully that will be in place to change this behavior uh, of young people, of adults? Some of them are very old when they do these things and they just don't care. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, there are laws in South Africa nationally. If we look again at the, the Waste Act, uh, the National Environmental Management Waste Act, uh, which, you know, provides provisions against littering. Uh, you know, there's a particular section there, Section 27 in particular, um, that is very specific um, about, uh, you know, uh, privately owned properties and how people should provide receptacles for waste. If there are people, um, you know, in their properties, and that uh, no person is allowed to litter, you know, throw, drop, or or spill any waste. Um, but you often find that the challenge is again enforcement, um, and enforcement at the local level. When I say local level, at your municipal level, mm. um, because you'll find that municipalities also would promulgate bylaws uh, around nuisance and, and and waste or solid waste. But the enforcement of those bylaws is often the challenge, and that's why we'll then see uh, quite a lot of litter around our cities and our towns, simply because there's just you know a, a lack of enforcement. And I think in a country like South Africa, uh, again, where we're struggling with a, a lot of capacity constraints, um, you know, you're bound to see those types of challenges uh, mm-hmm. where you go into a city and you can just see there's nobody enforcing um, you know any bylaw against somebody dropping litter. Mm, 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 mm. So it's a big challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is. I mean, do we have the manpower? I, I want to ask you an opinion now, but uh, sort yeah. of professional opinion, but there's no legal answer, I don't think, to it. We okay. often have a situation in South Africa, not always, but every now and then we have a situation in South Africa where we're faced with severe drought or severe oh. flooding. And we treat those as sort of natural disasters, which we have no control over. And then we kick into sort of the, um, what's it called, uh, emergency, state of emergency sometimes, a uh, localized state, state of emergency. Yeah. Is that the correct approach to these problems? I ask that because would it not be better to deal with those situations, extreme weather conditions, as being part of our environmental legislation rather than being just something we have to deal with as and when it comes. 
What's your yeah. opinion on that, having worked within the sort of environmental legal space? Is the framework just not there because we treat it as a, an emergency and let's deal with this emergency rather than dealing with the whole uh, concept of waste and litter and um, cl- uh, climate change and so on? Yeah, you know, and if, if we look at the effect of climate change, it affects everyone. Um, many countries around the world, as we've seen in recent months, years, uh, and certainly South Africa is not immune um, to, to climate change difficulties. Um, in terms of the government doing something about it, um, as I mentioned earlier, I think they are in terms of uh, introducing quite a number of flaws mm. uh, that will help um, reduce the impact of greenhouse gases. Mm. Because as you know, it's... Uh, it's really the increase of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere that leads to, you know, um, an increase in temperatures. Mm. And, of course, which then you know, leads to these climate change conditions, whether there's, you know, droughts, um, these typhoons and so forth. So, so so I think as a country we're moving towards the right direction, um, but we, we certainly can't prevent the, the effects of climate change um, you know, overnight. But we're already um, setting up laws to try and make sure that we, we, you know, we address that issue. I mean, by 2030, South Africa has got a goal to try and reduce their greenhouse gas um, you know, emissions mm. by at least 34 uh, percent. And by enacting laws such as the Carbon Tax Act, uh, you know, the already existing greenhouse gas emission regulations and so forth, mm. um, they're trying to address the underlying roots or causes of oh, climate goodness. change and, and what we see in these um, uh, natural disasters. Yeah. Now, when we talk about redress, and um, we have a scenario where often in this sort of type, type let's say this, this matter now must go to be litigated. You have pollution, whatever the case may be, it'll affect a community. It won't, be, it won't just be individuals. And you may be able to identify some of the individuals, but others you won't be able to identify. In the past, the challenge has sometimes in a class action been the process of launching a class action. Um, it has all sorts of, it had, I'm not sure if it still does, it had all sorts of legal requirements in order for you to get to court to be able to present it as a class, as this class of people, I can't identify all of them, but I know this class of people has been affected by this behavior and I want the courts to assist me. Is, has, has, has our legislation adapted to, to enable communities to better access justice when they need to? Or do you think we still have a long way to go in terms of addressing those types of issues? Uh, absolutely. I mean, if you look at the National Environmental Management Act, uh, which is NEMA, mm. um, it clearly makes a provision there for, you know, people that assist, let's say, a community or anybody on a pro bono basis to um, uh, take on an environmental, you know, issue that mm. they don't get costs. You know, against uh, those kind of people. Right. So, so definitely, and if we look at the, like the cases that we've uh, uh, seen of late, uh, as I said, the Uzani Environmental Justice uh, Alliance case, um, you know, against BP some years ago, you had the um, Val Environmental Justice Alliance um, taking on Arcelomittal. So, so you see this, um, you know, NGOs or civic organizations taking on big corporates um, and being able to access the law. And I think that's a wonderful thing to have in our democracy, that uh, everybody has the right um, to, you know, to legal resources to, mm. then, to take on uh, on environmental issues or challenges. Excellent.
Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Mkiza. We appreciate your time. I really didn't know that we, our legislation had moved or our, 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 our jurisprudence had moved so far that we are now having civic organizations making these moves. Uh, and we appreciate your time and all of the information you've given us. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, so that was the voice of Siam Kizi, yes, Tepo. And yes, he was just sharing with us <laughs> the legal technicalities of environmental law. Up next now, we're going to speak to Makoma Likala Kala, and she is from the award-winning Earth Life, and we're going to hear her contribution um, about this topic. But before we do so, let's just go to the shops. Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Welcome back to Law Focus with Millicent and Tepo. It has just gone quarter to eight, and we are now going to be speaking to Makoma Likalakala. We are talking about climate justice. That's the topic that we've been running with the rest of this evening and we hope that you are learning a lot and we'd like to welcome Ms. Makoma to Law Focus. Welcome. Good evening. Good evening and good evening to your listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, congratulations on your 2018 Goldman Environmental Prize for managing to stop a Russian-South African nuclear deal in 2017. Mm. What makes this issue so important to you? Um, I think firstly, uh, the award was not mine only. I represented uh, the number of people who contributed um, towards reversing the nuclear deal. And it was not just about um, uh, reversing the nuclear deal. It was also for the consideration of the climate because uh, nuclear is not climate neutral. It's high carbon intensive and the waste thereof would remain for hundreds and thousands of years. And moreover, it, uh, it's quite expensive. Okay. And as you may know that South Africa is faced with challenges of climate change, um, economic challenges, and growing inequalities. So the, um, the kind of work that we do on environmental justice, on mitigation against climate change, it's moreover for people's survival. Mm. And are climate changes only man-made or human-made? That's the right word to put it. I would say that um, as, as development happens, as um, more creativity comes, and then, then that's when some of the actions we do are contributing towards global warming. Particularly at the core is the building of fossil fuels. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is a group of scientists from all over the world that are informing the United Nations Environmental Program as to any environmental changes that are monitoring what's happening all over the world, have said that around early around the 1970s, and that some of their reports were taken in by. Uh, UNEP, and that's why they have uh, uh, created or they initiated a United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. Uh, that is um, uh, a process towards having a legally binding agreement for all countries to be able to take the issue of global warming and climate change seriously for countries to commit themselves to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So it's managed. Mm-hmm. And uh, last year we had um, a very damning report from the IPCC saying we've got 12 years remaining 
something has got to be done. Mm-hmm. And um, at, at, the, at, the, at the top of their list, they were saying there's no need, there's no more uh, need for us to be bringing coal. Uh, coal is the great biggest contributor uh, towards greenhouse gas emissions mm-hmm. um, or carbon dioxide, as you say it. So um, <clears throat> at makes it costs also by grid. It's also caused by indifference, but people don't care as long as I need profit, as long as I've got uh, means to do right. what I want to do on an everyday basis and not even considering to use the minimal of what you're using or not considering what damage does this cause to the environment should I not be energy efficient. Right. Now, but in South Africa, we've got massive companies, you know, like Sasol and, and, and Eskom, mm. etc., who are uh, big, big players in our economy. They need to function. They mm. always have to function. And they are big polluters. And I hear South Africa is the biggest polluter on the continent. Uh, how do we make, um, in your experience, what makes big industrialists like that sit up and, and pay attention to what you and other climate activists have to say? What makes them uh, say, okay, we'll hear you now? Okay. Um I think uh, there's, there's, there's a lot, but what, the point of departure is that we've got a constitution uh, in South Africa which somehow has got some sort of a gold status. This is a constitution that um, is held all over the world because of what is contained in the particularly on the Bill of Rights. And one point of the Bill of Rights is that it says, Section 24, uh, everyone has got the right to live in an environment that is not harmful to their being. And um, that is encompassing to everyone, not selective of who and who. But with Sasol and Eskom, what has been disheartening is that we have legislation, we have regulations, we have policies in this country. And um, both um, uh, public entities um, have decided that they would not comply with parts of legislation Paris regulations. Mm. Uh, for an example, we have um, the National Air Quality Act, and um, that sets minimum emission standards. And we understand that uh, this has been some work that has started, particularly after 1994, and a lot of people were involved in that. But what I've seen is uh, SASO and um, and ESCOM in particular, instead of um, complying with those regulations or with the minimum emission standards, what they've done, they have continuously uh, applied for postponement. And when they apply for postponement, they cite that uh, because of economic reasons that they have to comply because they've got to deliver energy security in the country, particularly as complained, they've got to mm-hmm. deliver energy security in the country. But that energy security can be delivered alternatively. We've got abundant and un- unexploited renewable energy sources in the country that could be also be, um, uh, <coughs> become part of the kind of energy that we use. And um, ESCOM itself, uh, besides that uh, we do have coal, but that coal is not uh, infinite, uh, it's going to end at a particular time. So there's a need for a just transition. And they've known this for some time. It's not like a new thing. Mm. So ESCOM has got to change its business model, uh, not only being addicted to coal, which is also water guzzling, but to um, uh, find ways of 
accelerating um, the alternative energy that is much more cleaner as part of our energy um, uh, security in the country. Uh, Sassol itself is also to blame um, because Sassol also doesn't comply and uh, in the areas where these public entities have their plants, people in those areas are unable to breathe and mm-hmm. such is a violation of their rights. Definitely. Currently, we have a water problem in the country. We know that we are drought stricken, but if we could check as to 10 minutes what ESCOM uses, the, kind, the amount of water is they use. And so water is diverted for essential services for people to drink, for essential, for, 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 for crops, and it's diverted towards dirty uh, energy, which our atmosphere. Mm. Okay, well, that's a beautifully uh, extensive answer to the question. Uh, we unfortunately have to wrap up because we don't have time. And so in the interest of time, my final question that I would like you to just keep it briefly in your response to is how, how, how can you advise people to mitigate against climate change? What are the things that we can do to ensure that we are not perpetrators of killing the environment? I want to hold uh, this um, uh, um, hold ESCOM and SASO, including the government, accountable. Okay. To say we have legislation and this legislation has got to be attached to. But as an individual, you can be energy efficient. Um, use the amount of energy that you use. Try to lessen uh, the ampli- appliances that use too much electricity. Because if you do, that means you say ESCOM must spend more, electric- more coal, and that coal would contribute towards. Um, getting the atmosphere but there are many other things as an individual that you can do to avoid the message consumerism only buy what you need don't buy more than what you need because that also increases um um, pollution um in different ways okay perfect thank you thank you so much for joining us on law focus we appreciate the award-winning earth life on the show Thank you. All right. So this evening, we managed to at least get uh, some information from three different experts in this field of climate justice. And there was Lerato Ngakani from, I almost said 350 Africa used to be, and now she's at Mansa. And then Siam Kize, who is an attorney at Shipson & Wiley, as well as Makoma Likalakala from Earth Like Johannesburg. She's the d- director um, at, at the Johannesburg branch there. Uh, remember, for our podcast, including this show, visit vits.journalism.co.za forward Slash law. And up next, you're going to be hearing Caesar the MC with the voice of hip hop. So that was it for this evening, and we hope to see you again or listen to you again or chat with you again next time on Law Focus. From our <laughs> Wait, King. I will. Wait, King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask no questions here, no lies. Yeah. From our producer, Sinva Hande, our technical producer, Kutlano Sirame, Skumbuzo Zondo, our Law Focus researchers, Sisetu Zinge, Rasikle Monamasi, Pati Makafani, Tepo Mohapi, as well as myself. We're listening to you, any. Good night. Yeah, good night, ladies and gentlemen. Law Focus. Point, point of information. Law Focus Podcast is also available on iTunes. Search Law Focus.